in the scripture passage that I'll read for us in a moment here from Luke chapter 6. The Lord is urging us as individuals and as families to carefully build our lives and our futures upon a solid and sure foundation. Else when we encounter times of struggle, and we surely will, as we know, we and our loved ones will suffer loss unless we are founded on a firm foundation. Too often, especially in our younger years, we get so caught up in planning for our future as it relates to the temporal needs of life. What field of employment I should go into? Should I attend college or should I be a craftsman? What kind of automobile should I own? Should I buy a house or should I rent an apartment? And it goes on and on. Temporal needs, temporal concerns. And those considerations are all good. They're all good and we need to have those kinds of considerations. But as we study these scriptures today, we quickly see that God would have us to instead begin by considering the far more important future needs of our soul where and how we should first build the foundations of our souls. And if we do that, if we put that first, and if that foundation is sure, then all the other matters of life will follow and will be successful. Successful beyond our greatest hope. And so then as we study these scriptures before us today, may we first stop And ask ourselves a question. And it's not just what is a solid and sure foundation that Jesus refers to. But rather, what does God mean? What does Jesus mean? What does he intend for us when he tells us to build our house upon a solid and sure foundation? Here in this passage, he gives us both an instruction but also a very severe warning. So listen, beginning in verse 46. Follow along with me, if you would. Verse 46 of Luke chapter 6. There Jesus begins by asking a question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me, he tells us, and hears my sayings and does them. I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood came and the streams beat vehemently against that house, it could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth. Some of the translations say on the sand. He who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the streams beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. With these words, Jesus gives us a very simple but a very clear word picture. He tells us that unless a person builds their life upon a strong foundation... When those storms and those floods of life come, and they surely will, the lives, their lives, and the lives of their families 
will not have the strength to stand. What is that strong and lasting foundation that you and I must build our lives upon? That Jesus is speaking about here. There's only one, only one foundation. There is only one way to Christ. In today's culture, so many, even that would call themselves evangelical preachers, seem to want to intimate that there's more than one way to eternal life. But that is not so. There's only one foundation. One foundation that is truly strong enough to endure through all the storms of this life. And that foundation is the gracious gift of salvation that Jesus built for us through his death on the cross. And here in his words, Jesus gives us the first and most essential step of that foundation. It begins with the simple instruction in verse 7. Listen, he tells us, Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. Those are very simple instructions, but they are so very essential to all of life. You and I must come to him. We must listen carefully to his voice and then follow all that he says to us. And as we do that, as we do that, we build the foundation of our lives upon him. And when we do that, our foundation will surely stand through any storm that our life encounters. Now, yes, that foundation of the Lord is a strangely built foundation. One that's completely incomprehensible to the unbelieving world. That's why in the days of Jesus, they crucified him. They didn't understand what he was saying. And that's why even in this day, in our culture, men and women everywhere treat Christ as if he doesn't matter, or perhaps even doesn't even exist. Folks, that is the majority of the people on this earth right now. That's what they're doing. The Lord speaks about that in Psalm 14, and he gives us a clear and vivid description of the mindset of the people of this day. Listen, he says in Psalm 14, verse 1, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there's any who understand and who seek him. They've all turned aside, he says. They've all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. Folks, this condition is the condition in which you and I And everyone else on the face of the earth comes into this world. Everyone born on this earth comes into this life with a soul that is as corrupt as the words of Psalm 14 tell us. Corrupt at our very core. And then to add to that, as we go through life, we become sickened and diseased by our sin. And we're unable, by our own strength at least, to heal ourselves. And folks, listen, listen. Left unchanged, left unchanged, our sinful corruption will only worsen all of the days of our life. All of the days of our life. But praise be to God, He brought us a change. He brought us a change through His blessed intervening grace. God sent His Son, the Lord Jesus, to shed His blood there on the cross and to save us from that corrupt condition that we came into this life with, and to bring us into the blessed kingdom of His Son. Let me say this another way. 
If it were not for God's blessed intervening grace and the redeeming salvation that His grace brings to us, all mankind, every soul that has ever existed would be swept away by the storms and the floods of this life and eternally lost. I'm reminded of Noah's flood. It would be like that. Except for those eight, every soul was wiped away. Folks, Jesus Christ is the one and the only possible hope and foundation for our souls as we live and as we breathe and have our being here in this life. Think about this for a moment. Sometimes I think that we older, seasoned Christians have been living within God's blessed provision for such a long time that we tend to forget just how wonderful His grace is. I've been a believer for getting close to 50 years. I barely remember what it was like before I received Christ as my Savior. So it's easy for us to forget just how wonderful His grace is and how fortunate we are that He chose to draw us into His loving salvation. And how blessed and how safe we are to live each day as one of His beloved children. I feel safe. Do you feel safe? I know that if I don't wake up in the morning... I'll be in heaven. I have no doubt. I feel that safety with all of my heart. And folks, we, you and I, are not just one of a great multitude that's been gathered to God's throne. We are that, yes. But we're so much more than that. We are intimately beloved sons and daughters of His, of God the Father. How eternally blessed we are that we would have this grace showered upon us that he would reach into your and my wretched souls and folks I know that I was wretched to the core before I came to know him but he drew me out of that life into Christ and I praise the Lord for that but listen there's also a caution that we need to understand as we receive our free and undeserved salvation we need to remain careful to not too quickly become complacent with our new blessed condition. Our salvation takes us only and barely inside the doorway of our eternal life. I want to say that again so that we can understand it. Our salvation, the moment that we receive Christ as our Savior, it only takes us barely inside the doorway of our eternal life. We are there, yes, and we are saved. But it's only the beginning point. That is only the beginning point. The foundation then that he's speaking about here, the remaining parts of that structure of our life, still need to be built within us. Our faith, our trust, our beliefs, habits, new habits, new behaviors, new hopes, new dreams, all of that needs to be built. And it takes place after we receive him as our Savior. And yes, it is by His power and by His leading that we build that foundation. But it is our responsibility to step on forward and to begin to do that. And to the extent that you and I invest ourselves in that new condition of salvation, that, folks, will be the extent to which our life will be changed and transformed into that new creature that God has told us about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. There he tells us, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All the old 
has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's you and me, folks. After we receive Christ as our Savior, He tells us, if anyone, you and me, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. All the old things of our life have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And let me say emphatically that that change absolutely must take place. Why? Because until it does, our salvation really is not complete. A lot of folks think that just once you pray that sinner's prayer, that's all there is to salvation. But these scriptures are so clear. They speak of the salvation that we received, the salvation that we are receiving, and the salvation that we will receive when we enter into heaven. God is clear in His Word that we are working out this salvation that He has worked into us through the sacrifice of His dear Son. If we don't go ahead and invest ourselves in this salvation, then it's not going to be complete in us. And again, too often, we want to get in that evangelical rush and say, let's just get them saved. My dear sister had a saying that her former pastor used to use. He says, she said that he would say, you catch them and we clean them. That's a nice saying, but it's deeper than that. We cannot skip on past the basic elements of true salvation and believe that everything's going to work out okay for us. Because if we do, if we skip on past some of these basic foundational steps of our salvation, we're like that shoddy builder who cut corners and left out so many of those important steps of the foundation and the structure. And folks, with that kind of shoddiness... It will surely show later on, especially when the storms and the floods of life come rushing in on us. True salvation means that a person truly is born again into a completely new and different person. You and I, we are no longer the same person we used to be. The old sinful nature in us has been killed out in us and we have joined ourselves with God's Holy Spirit. And as we do that, as we do that, He replaces our old nature with the new nature of Christ. But again, with that being said, we must still always remain so very cautious. Because while it's true that we are now new creatures, you're a new creature. But it's also true that the foolishness that once controlled our lives as unbelievers still wants to reach back in and regain control over us. How often have you had old habits come right back to you? Old habits that you know you need not take part in. Our old sin nature, folks, is a taskmaster. And he does not give up his ownership on us easily. And he'll gladly return to control us as long as we'll let him. That's exactly what Jesus is speaking about here in today's passage. People who obviously wanted Christ to be Lord of their lives, but have not as yet shed themselves of that old dead flesh of the old life and have not pushed on forward into obedience and surrender in their new life. Listen again to these words of the Lord Jesus. He begins first by asking the simple question, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? 
in those earliest moments leading up to your and my salvation, the Holy Spirit worked within each of us and, and gave us this honest look at the wretchedness that lived within our souls. And we despised what we saw. And that's what caused us to be brought to repentance. That's what caused us to plead with Christ to come in and to save us and to cleanse us from our sins and to change us. But then again, as I mentioned a moment ago, our old taskmasters, sin and self, they are so quick to respond. They've actually been defeated in us, yes. But they're able to so quickly regroup and to begin to try to convince us to go back to our old ways. And the result of that is often similar to the plight of the children of Israel. As I read through these words, I thought... This is what they experienced. Those children of Israel, as they languished there in the wilderness during their exodus from Egypt. Those folks, listen, those folks had been completely set free from their old taskmasters. The Egyptians had been defeated and they had been drowned in the sea. And all the Israelites needed to do was by faith enter on into the promised land. Just step on into the promised land. But they didn't. They didn't. They instead started talking about going back to Egypt to be under their old taskmaster. How foolish. And folks, in, in they're not simply moving on forward and completely putting their trust in God. They found themselves then mired for 40 years in their unbelief and wandering in that wilderness. And I'm sure, listen, I'm sure that while God might not have used these same exact words that he surely said similar words to what the Lord Jesus said here in this passage. That he said to them, Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, but you're not willing to do what I say? It was true for them then, and it's true for us now. And folks, if God could be frustrated, which I don't believe that he can, but if he could be frustrated, this would surely frustrate him. It would surely frustrate me. There in that desert, God gave complete freedom to His Israelite children and to us who are in Christ as we receive Christ as our Savior. He gives you and me that same complete freedom. Freedom from the control of sin, freedom from all the penalties and all of the punishment that goes along with sin. He gave us complete freedom from that. And the most obvious question is, why do we not simply step on forward into that salvation? Why do we still languish out here in our own wilderness? Why do we keep calling Him Lord, Lord, but still neglect or even blatantly refuse to do what He's telling us to do? That's on a daily basis, folks. It sure is with me. Thankfully, even though we keep giving in to sin and to sin's temptations, and are bogged down in those miry pits, God does not leave us there. Just as with the children of Israel. He did not leave them there, and He does not leave us there in our wilderness. He graciously provides what I would describe as a continual irritation, painful goads within my heart and soul, provocations that keep pointing me and directing me away from the sin that I want to go back into and back into the life with Christ that He originally planned for me. I'm reminded each time I think of such 
difficulties as these, I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7. There he tells us clearly how God goes about doing what he does. In those words, God reveals it to us through the, the anguished suffering of the Apostle Paul, how he is constantly at work within each of us to turn us away from those old ways and on to the more righteous ways of Christ. I invite you to read Romans chapter 7. Listen to these words. They're cries from the Apostle Paul as he deals with his own lack of complete surrender to the Spirit of Christ. There in verse 15, he cries out, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, that I do. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good that I want to do. No, the evil that I do not want to do, that I keep on doing. And then in verse 24, he cries out, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then in verse 25, the relief. He gives us the answer. He says, I thank God the answer is through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. As unbelievers, you and I could live with our sin nature and all of its beliefs and habits and behaviors and not even know that we were doing anything wrong. But the moment then that we receive Christ, we change. The moment that we receive Christ, we change. Why do we change? It's because God's Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And as He comes to live within us, He cannot abide with our sin. And because of that, He never ceases to convict us of our sin. And to make us struggle and to suffer when we give in to our old ways. And folks, let me tell you, that miserable suffering that we do in circumstances like that's described by the Apostle Paul, that's a very good thing. A very good thing. It's God's way of turning us to His ways of righteousness. He makes our sin so detestable to us that we'll turn from it. But He's addressing the question continually to us. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not want to do the things that I say? Listen, if you are still doing those things that God does not want you to do, like he describes here in this verse, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? If you or I are still doing those things, we cannot hope to receive the blessings that we want from the Lord Jesus. The blessings of the new life. While we're still holding on to all of those habits and those behaviors and the conduct of that old life. It's much like Lot's wife. She could not quite turn loose of her old life. You and I must listen and respond to Jesus when he asks this question of us individually. And you and I need to examine our hearts and say, Lord, where does this take place with me? He says to us, why do you call me Lord, Lord? You start your prayers by saying, Lord. So you call me Lord, Lord. But then you get up from your prayer and you do not do the things that I say. Folks, this is not just a question that he's asking when he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? That's not just a question. That is an earnest plea to our wretched souls. And here in these next words of this passage, he gives us a kind of parable. And he explains all of this to us. He says, 
he, here he describes both the treasures of full surrender, but he also describes the utter foolishness that takes place when we hold back in our surrender. First, he tells us about yielding to him. He says in verse 47, Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I'll show you whom he's like. He's like a man who's building a house, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And let me mention something here. The words say, who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. That's a very intentional word, the rock. One of our translations, the NIV, says a rock, but all the rest of them translate it exactly right. It's the rock. And if you recall, all through these Gospels, Jesus is called the rock. He is the rock of our salvation. And so that's who he's talking about here. Who dug deep and laid the foundations on the rock. And when the floods came, the streams beat vehemently against the house, but it could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. And then in his next words, he lovingly tells us what the consequences are for not yielding to him. He tells us in verse 49, But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the streams beat vehemently, and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Now folks, note in these words that Jesus is emphatic as he describes the part that is ours. The salvation that he provided for us came at a severe cost to him, his death on the cross. And compared to that, there's very little left that's required of you and me. All he asks is that we simply give up our old dead self, its habits and its ways. And the word that keeps coming to my mind is intentional, intentional. Unless and until you and I begin to deal with our old life, our old habits, our old beliefs in an intentional way, folks, they will continue to control us. You and I must deliberately and intentionally build our house. Each new hope, each new dream, each new idea, thought, habit, behavior upon the foundational rock of the Lord Jesus. Because all else, all else truly is sinking sand. And it'll give way. It'll give way under the first stress of a storm or a flood that comes on us. Think with me just one more moment before we close. Here in these words of our scripture passage, Jesus is pleading with us to take our Christianity, our beliefs, our faith, on to the next level of surrender. It's not enough that we simply call out, Lord, Lord. Or even that we would walk an aisle and say a sinner's prayer. You and I must also surrender our souls over to Him and to His Lordship. To His Lordship. To allow Him to be Lord of our lives. And then we need to start doing, intentionally doing, the things that He asks. These scriptures tell us that Jesus is a cornerstone. He's the cornerstone of the foundation of our new Christian life. And you and I must begin there, building all the parts of our new life onto His precious and His powerful cornerstone. Every new belief, every new habit, every new behavior. And as we do that, our foundation then will be sure and it will be able to withstand any storm that comes against it. And may I say again, Yes, receiving Christ as our Savior is essential and it's absolutely necessary. 
But receiving Him as our Savior is only the beginning. It's only the first step. You and I must also receive Him as our Lord. Otherwise, our salvation will not be complete. Yes, we'll go to heaven. But our salvation that we're working out will not be complete. And so He asks us this question. And I'd like for you to take it with you as we leave. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do the things that I say? Let's pray.